an underlying question throughout it of what does it mean to be blessed. And so that, that video will kind of lead us well into that. Uh, but before we get into that, we are going to release our kids for Children's Church. So if you've got a kid in that age range, they'll head off that way now. We've also got a nursery over there, a uh, cry room in the back, and uh, all that good stuff uh, for our kiddos. Um, you let someone else preach once and they mess with your podium and <laughs> see if Doug ever gets to come back. <laughs> it's probably too high now. Oh, well, it'll work for today. Uh, anyways, uh, so it's, it's just been two weeks since I've preached, but it feels like an eternity with the last week and a half that we've had. Um, but uh, so it's been kind of a long week and a half for us, but it, it would have been so much more difficult without so many of you. Uh, and so thank you again for, for all your support and encouragement and help and prayers and, uh, and everything else. Uh, so, like I said, we are uh, going to begin a new series today uh, entitled Rich. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus has to say about money. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I was at Planet Fitness. We're going to begin. I'm going to be that guy who tells a story about going to work out because that seems like a good, <laughs> good prideful place to start. <laughs> uh, so I was at Planet Fitness wor- working out, and I found that the longer you are like working out at a gym, the more kind of prideful you feel about yourself and your ability to, to do stuff. And so there's this machine at the back of kind of the row of treadmills. I call it like the Stairmaster. It looks like this. Um, Apparently, it's called a stair mill because it's like a treadmill, but stairs. Uh, And so if you've been to a gym, this is the machine that everyone on looks miserable all the time. Like they're leaning over. They look like they don't want to continue in life. And it's just, it's an awful machine. (laughs) And so I'll usually go, whenever I do this machine, I'll do it like as a quick cardio burst to really sound like a gym idiot. (laughs) if you use that phrase, I'm sorry, I didn't mean idiot, but <laughs> anyways, uh, so I'll do it like a kind of a quick burst between other stuff, and I'll go and turn it up real high and do it pretty fast and get up to about 300 steps, really just trying to go really fast and then kind of go back slower and, you know, feel good about myself for doing 300 steps really quickly. Uh, and so I was going over one day a few weeks ago to do this machine, and, and there's like two of them right next to each other, and at the first one, this lady's on it, and she's going like real slow. Uh, and so I can feel this like tinge of kind of a little pride, like I'm about to go a lot faster than she is. <laughs> so I get over there to it, and I'm I'm on I'm, I get on the machine, and we're so we're next to each other, and sure, man, I'm just like I'm pounding this out, I'm going, and I'm doing good, and I'm feeling good about myself because man, I can do this thing quick, and I'm I'm just pounding these steps out. So we get to about 300, and like I'm feeling it now, like my heart is is going, and so I get right to about 300, and yeah, like I'm I'm still able to keep up to speed, I'm doing good. Uh, so I'll get to about 300, and then I'll kind of, you know, do the levels down a lot and just kind of slow down for a little bit and, and bring it back. So I get to about th- I get to 300 steps, slow it down. I'm kind of doing my cool down thing here on the Stairmaster, and I happen to glance over at the lady's screen next to me because you have screens that, like, show you how much you've been doing. So I've done 300 steps, feeling good about myself, look over and kind of do a double take because she's at 2,800 steps. <laughs> 2,800 <laughs> steps. I thought I would probably be, probably be going pretty slow myself <laughs> at 2,800 steps. And she was still going and kept going for a while after that. Uh, now, needless to say, 
those little tinges of, of pride and not necessarily judgment, but kind of thinking, I'm going to do this better than her. Um, those little quick snap judgments that I catch myself, you know, don't let them get pretty close, don't let myself get pretty far down that road, but we all kind of do that from time to time, right? And, and so, needless to say, there's no place for that regardless of what my next point is, that she could have been at 10 steps going down that slow. It's not, I don't, it's not any of my right or whatever to judge her for that, certainly. But I think it was also a reminder that, metaphorically speaking, we don't know what's on the screen of other people's lives, right? Uh, we look at people and we can make judgments and think, man, I, I would handle that situation better. I could do that better than they're doing it. Uh, if I was in their position, I, would, I know how I would do that. But we don't know what's on the other people's screens. Um, and I think that's especially important when it comes to money. Because we're really good at spending other people's money. <laughs> like, how could they spend that much on that? I can't believe they would spend that much money on that, whatever that is. And we're going to come back to that really kind of as a more over, over, overarching theme in a couple of weeks with some stories we're going to look at. Uh, but I just want to kind of set us up and begin there. Because anytime we start talking about money, we get into some tricky waters, right? Uh, and so, for some of this, you may be, even be thinking, who is this guy to tell me what to do with my money, how I should spend my money? I don't want to come to church for the next four weeks and have the preacher tell me what to do with my money. <laughs> um, and so, I get that. The problem is, Jesus has a whole lot to say about money. Uh, he talks about money more than any other singular topic. And so, as we go through this, I want you to know, I'm not at all saying I've got this figured out and that we are doing it well. But I will say that... that uh, Jesus' words and teachings, and specifically some of them that we'll, we will be looking at over the next several weeks, uh, have been some of the things that have caused Ashley and I to take a look at our uh, spending habits and finances and, and ask ourselves some questions about, okay, so what do we, what do we spend money on, um, and, and what are the things that we value? doesn't mean we do it well all the time. doesn't mean that we don't slip into times where we aren't intentional about what we do. We can all, I think, uh, ourselves included, have room to grow in this. Uh, but Jesus has a lot to say about it. Some of the things are going to sound harsh, and some of the things that Jesus says, I think, may be a little bit unexpected. Uh, but we're going to look at some of those teachings over the next few weeks. And anytime we do a series, it's kind of one theme over the course of several weeks to recognize, you know, you can't say everything in one sermon. There are going to be some loose ends that are kind of ineb inevitably and, and sometimes purposefully left out there. And so you may feel like that this week or others, but, but we're going to kind of engage some of these teachings uh, of Jesus over the next several weeks and just kind of let them sit there as we think about what Jesus has to say about money. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 12 today, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're going to look at a, at a parable that may be well known to you, maybe not, uh, but a parable that Jesus tells about money. And before we get there, just a couple more things to, to mention about Jesus and his, his thoughts on money, it seems to me, as you read through the Gospels, uh, at least to me, there are two kind of overarching themes that I feel like Jesus kind of hits on when he talks about money. One is that he tends to talk about money, at least in, in the ways that we would describe it, in terms of investing. We talk about money in terms of spending often. What, 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 how much money can I spend? What do I have to spend? How much does this cost spending? Jesus tends to talk about it in terms of investing, I feel like. Uh, he also uh, talks about money in a way that makes it seem like, um, to Jesus, 
money can certainly become a god or a master. Uh, and he wants us to be very careful about that. Because when we read his teachings and we think about it, even from our perspective, you can see this. Jesus sees money as something that can ultimately use you. But Jesus sees money as a tool that you use towards specific and purposeful goals and ends. And the end is never the accumulation of stuff that money can buy. Uh, the end is always something else. Uh, and so those are a couple of overarching themes that I think we're going to see today and we're going to see as we go through this. Jesus speaks in terms of, of investing, maybe differently than we would think about investing, um, and that you need to be careful because money can become your God. Uh, so Luke 12 is where we're going to pick up. Uh, Luke has a lot to say about the poor, the needy, uh, the sick, which makes sense because Luke was a doctor. So it stands to reason that Luke would have kind of a keen awareness for those who are in need. Uh, and so the beginning of Luke 12, we're going to pick up in, here in just a minute, I think, as it says on the screen in verse 13. But if you just glance briefly at the beginning of Luke 12, uh, you'll see that there's a crowd, Luke says, of many thousands that have gathered now around Jesus, and they're trampling one another. So this is just kind of a, a scene of chaos. <laughs> and so you've got this, this huge crowd around Jesus, but it says he then starts to speak first to his disciples. So you've got this huge crowd around him, but Jesus is trying to kind of have this teaching moment with his disciples right around him. And the first thing he says to them is, be on your guard. So that's how this kind of whole setting begins. So then you skip to verse 13. They're still here in this crowd. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> so siblings have been fighting about money for a long time. <laughs> uh, I, my, my brother's not giving me enough of my money. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? <laughs> in other words, look, dude, leave me out of this. <laughs> like, your money stuff is your issue. Don't bring me into this. Uh, man, leave me out of this. Then he said to them, watch out, and then the same phrase that he began the chapter with, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Okay, we're, we're going to pause right here once again because I want you to listen to how he phrases that. He says, the ground of a certain rich man. Uh, this, this rich man is about to get a windfall of grain and surplus that he did not expect. But Jesus is quick to point out at the beginning, it wasn't even the guy who produced it. <laughs> it was the ground of a certain rich man that produced this. Uh, so it's not even this guy's doing. This is the ground's doing. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. All right, this is one of simultaneously my favorite and least favorite stories in Scripture. Um, because it feels like a story that could be written to us today. Um, 
And if this story, I'm convinced, if this story doesn't punch you in the gut somewhere along the way, <laughs> then you're not being honest with yourself about something. That's just what I, that's my belief. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's impressive how just pertinent it is to modern society, but maybe even a little encouraging that these have been issues that people have been wrestling with forever. Greed is not new to mankind. Uh, it's one of my least favorites because it's one of those stories that I really wish Jesus hadn't have told. <laughs> Like, man, Jesus, things would be a lot easier if that story wasn't in there. Because <laughs> that one hits a little close to home. Uh, but it's in there, so we have to deal with it. Uh, the, the account, again, begins with this crowd around Jesus. He ends up telling this story about money. And I think this is a story, again, that should really catch our attention. Because I think that we are really good at building bigger barns. Or we are at least good at filling to capacity the barns that we have, without really even thinking about it. Uh, when Ashley and I moved to Portland, we were lucky enough to, to, to buy a house that had two two-car garages. Um, like, the house was, was fairly, we would consider, in, in kind of modern America, moderately sized, but the previous owners had apparently a love for recreational vehicles, so we had the attached two-car garage, and in the back, we were at the back of a cul-de-sac, so it was a huge yard. They built another two-car garage. So we had more storage space in our house than we did living space. And so it's like, well, we've got four two-car, or, you know, four garage spaces. What do we do with them? Well, you fill them up. <laughs> Uh, we didn't buy all the stuff that we filled them with. People would be like, hey, we've got a pool table we're getting rid of. Yeah, sure, bring it over. We've got <laughs> space in the other garage. We've got this. Yeah, sure, why not? And so before long, we looked out, and we were like, why do we have so much stuff in our garages? Because <laughs> we've got the space. Might as well fill it up, right? Then you look up, and it's like, well, our space is full. What do we do? Well, we need bigger barns. <laughs> uh, that too often is our first impulse instead of, why do I need all this stuff? Uh, that's finally the question that Ashley and I started asking ourselves. Like, do, do we need all this stuff? Is this doing us any good? Uh, we tend to expand, though, our stuff to fill whatever space we have. And then when we run out of room, we begin looking for more space to fill instead of looking for ways to, to divest ourselves of some of the excess stuff. Uh, there are actually more self-storage facilities in America than there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. In fact, there are twice as many self-storage facilities, not units, facilities in America as there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. We are really good at building bigger barns. Uh, we know how to do this very well. Uh, now let's make an important distinction here. Uh, the problem, I think, for the man in the story isn't simply the size of his barns. Uh, there are people who have quote-unquote big barns and use them well and use them for the glory of God. Uh, big barns have always been used for kingdom purposes. The early church, uh, in some ways, was dependent on people with quote-unquote big barns for meeting places and things like that. Uh, so it's not necessarily, the, the, the issue here is not just the big barns. This man's sin, it seems to me, is that he tore down perfectly good barns to build bigger ones simply because he had more stuff than he knew what to do with. And so maybe some of you have that box of stuff in a corner that's like, I may need this someday, right? If you don't have that box, then blessings on you. <laughs> um, 
we have those boxes. I'm not pointing fingers here. Like, well, maybe I'll need it someday. And it's actually financially uh, astute to not get rid of it because then I'd have to go out and buy it, right? Uh, but we've all got those boxes that have been boxed up for years because maybe I'll need that someday. Those are the things that we want to hold on to because we don't know quite what to do with them, so they take up space in our attic. Uh, the kicker for the man in this story is that he's convinced that the retention of all of his grain and goods will lead to peace happiness, and contentment. And this is the great lie and trick of greed. Uh, Because possessions and a sense of financial security can provide just enough of the illusion of peace and contentment that we keep searching for it in the same places. We think, "I've, I've got just enough of a taste of it, so if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little more space so I could have a little more stuff, then I'd finally have this happiness and this peace and this joy that I feel like I'm I'm close to, but I'm just not quite there yet. But our tanks are never going to be completely filled at those stations. Uh, I want us to listen again to the words Jesus assigns to this man uh, after he hatches this idea to build bigger barns so that he can keep everything. Listen to what he says to himself. I'm going to actually read it this time. This is in verse 19. I'm going to read it this time, though, out of the English Standard Version that translates it this way. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Uh, This man thinks that his soul, the core of who he is, the very essence of, of, of who he is, will find rest if he can simply hold on to his stuff. In other words, rest will come when I have enough stuff to be comfortable, when I don't have to worry about things, about money, about any of those things. How many of us have have had that thought, right? If I could just make enough money to be comfortable, I wouldn't have to worry anymore. If I could make enough to get rid of this debt, if I could make enough to pay off the student loans, if I could make enough to pay off the car, the house, whatever it is, then I would be comfortable. It's always something that seems to be coming later. Uh, And so I think this is ultimately a story about where we put our hope. (laughs) Possessions and money tempt us to see the accumulation and retention of those things as the path to peace, contentment, and rest. But seeking to find fulfillment in stuff is a never-ending journey because the path just keeps going, promising us that contentment is always over the next hill. And greed then becomes the fuel that keeps us energized enough to keep pushing ourselves over that next proverbial hill. And one of the dangerous things about greed is that it is a sin that has the capacity to take master over us, mastery over us in such a way that we don't even really realize it. Uh, I heard a pastor preach on greed one time, and he says, you know, I've had... He said, I've, I've been preaching and, and ministering for, you know, decades. I've had people come into my office and confess all kinds of sins. He says, I've never had anyone come in and confess greed. Because <laughs> uh, greed is always something else that other people struggle with, right? Specifically, it's something that people with more money than me struggle with. Like, can you believe what those people are doing? They're just greedy. Uh, can you believe how, how much that person works? They're just greedy. Greed is something other people struggle with. I'm doing pretty good. I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to be comfortable, right? Um, and so we convince ourselves that, that this isn't something that we are kind of dealing with. But I think what we find is that greed is an infliction that infects more of us than we probably care to realize, 
Greed is a belief that everything I possess is to be used, consumed, or spent by me. Greed is what convinces me that I cannot possibly spare to give at this time. Greed defines self-worth by net worth. Greed promises that it will be satisfied with just a little bit more and then promises the same thing again and again and again. And so while greed subtly and often without our knowledge convinces us that the good life will be ours if we just have a little bit more, what we find is that it is simply a never-ending path that produces anxiety and worry and fear and discontentment. And so Jesus then, as he continues on in Luke 12, he connects these themes of greed and worry. So if you've still got your Bible open to Luke 12, uh, look there in verse 22. This is right after this story. Uh, so Luke 12, 22. So remember, we've got this crowd. He starts talking to his disciples. Then these brothers interrupt, say, hey, come settle this dispute. So then he says, he ta- starts talking to them, tells this story uh, to the brothers, but everyone around him can hear it. And so then look at 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so now his his attention has turned again. Now he comes back to his disciples and says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Uh, Can't you, if you go back to verse 19, you can hear worry in this man's response. When he says, I can just relax and be merry, eat, drink, and be merry. You can hear the unstated there, then I won't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. Uh, And so Jesus connects that then more directly in this. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. Now listen, because this one probably stings a little bit. They have no storeroom or barn. He's just told a story about barns, right? They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Uh, the end of that is something we quote a lot, but, but don't miss the fact that he tells it on the heels of this story about not holding on to all your stuff. <laughs> That's the context in which Jesus says these words. Consider How the wild flowers grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Matthew records similar words from Jesus when he quotes Jesus as saying, do not lay up treasure for yourself, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus is basically telling us that storing up treasure for yourself in heaven is quite simply solid investment strategy. (laughs) That it just makes more sense to store up for yourself treasure where things that cause worry and destruction and uh, anxiety and all those things don't exist. Uh, He says if you just store up treasure for yourself in heaven, you don't have to worry about thieves or moths or rust or things getting broken or uh, technology uh, coming in and, and, and rendering what you have obsolete. None of that stuff matters if you focus your resources on eternal things. And protecting against all those other things that happen in this world is what leads to worry and anxiety. There's an old Jewish rabbinical saying that says it this way, one who increases possessions increases worry. Uh, Each possession that we buy comes with a price tag that extends beyond what it is that we pay for it in money. It requires maintenance, care, and upkeep, It ends up occupying space in our head, and it eventually burrows its way into our heart. And so each box of things that we might need someday may actually be filled with unneeded stress that we invite into our lives. But Jesus says there's another way. There's another way to think about your stuff, about your resources, about your money. There's a route that is more than a treadmill simply facing contentment and happiness but never moving anywhere but is instead a path that leads to true satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. And so Jesus calls us then to use our resources and invest our money in a way that has eternal value and significance. And I think Paul gives a prescription for what that looks like in 1 Timothy when he says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Um, Pause there just a second, too. We're going to finish this in a minute. But I think another trick that greed plays on us is that it tells us that I'm not rich, and so the the words of the Bible about rich people are for other people (laughs) because there's always somebody I can point to that has more money than me. Um, By global standards, almost all of us in this room would be considered rich. So I think we can drop some of that. There's actually a website you can go to. I I think it's still um, live. I meant to go check it this week. I never did. Globalrichlist.com. If you want to have a little dose of reality about how much you make compared to others in the world, go go plug your salary into that website. Um, When God says those who are rich in this present age, he's talking to most all of us. Um, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And I think a couple of the interesting things that Paul picks up on uh, that, that Jesus does as well is that Paul says God has richly provided for us everything to enjoy. Uh, this is God's design for possessions, for stuff, for money, that we would enjoy it that we would enjoy it partly for what we are able to get from it, but also that we enjoy it um, by not being tied to it, not being slaves to it, and and being generous to others and helping others and blessing others, that this is part of the enjoyment of money. It's not part of the the guilt that we should uh, feel about how we use it. When Jesus was talking about laying up treasure in heaven, he said to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Uh, And so there's this aspect of it that, yeah, he's calling us to this life of generosity uh, and to invest our treasure well in eternal things, but not because he wants us to feel guilty about what we have, 
that we give stuff away out of some sense of obligation. He wants us to be generous for the purpose of blessing others, but also for our own well-being and true sense of joy. That for Jesus and for Paul, the antidote to greed is generous giving, is a realization that this that I have is a gift from God, uh, and that if the ground produced this, it's not mine to hold on to, uh, it's mine to think, how can I bless others with this windfall that I've gotten? Uh, that it's not mine to think, if I can just hold on to all my stuff, I won't have to worry anymore. It's to realize that there's something bigger that God has in mind for this world and for me and for the ways that I engage with my stuff and with others. Um, and this is the vision of the kingdom that, that Christ and that Paul and that others in Scripture want us to get, to, to see when you step back from it and when you release yourself from this idea of holding on to all your stuff and are generous with what you have and, and give uh, and don't worry about all this stuff. This is what leads to the life that is truly life. Uh, and I want to reiterate, um, we are, are blessed with people in this church and in our lives elsewhere who do this really well. Um, as I said, just within the last week and a half, we've been incredibly blessed by people within this church family who do this r really well and who are uh, radically generous with their stuff. Um, and so I, I don't want to assume that none of this is happening. Uh, I also don't want to assume that these aren't issues that, that all of us struggle with to some extent, um, and, and some of us more than others. But I think it's something we have to be continually aware of within our own lives. Because the path to an alternative way of seeing treasure is generosity, is to recognize how blessed I am through God um, and to say, I, I want to pour this out in my lives so that others realize the goodness of God as well. Uh, one of the things that we do every Sunday is we come around the table to remember the goodness of God is expressed to us in Christ. Uh, that we remember his life, we remember his death, we remember his resurrection, and we remember the gift that is available to us through Christ. Uh, and, and the opportunity we have to take hold of this life in Christ um, and that the table is not simply a gathering place uh, where we come to feel comfortable, but it's a gathering place where we come to be reminded of, of where we find our identity and then to be encouraged and challenged to go out into the world um, and to be that to others. And so that may the table today be a place of peace for us, of encouragement, um, and may it remind us of our call um, to be generous um, and to give and to love others well. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up on stage now. In just a minute, we'll stand. Uh, and as we continue to sing together, may, be, may we be reminded of our call not to be slaves to anything in this world, uh, but to recognize the freedom that we have in Christ and to live our lives accordingly. So if you will, let's stand, uh, sing together, and then we'll share in communion together this morning. With a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a 
my mother's womb You've chosen me Love has called my name I've been born again To your family Your blood flows through my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God confession together and then share in communion. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.